Welcome back to West Bev. I'm Caitlin. I'm Ariel. And this is your Beverly Hills 90210 podcast, where we break down every episode of the 10-season show. Today, we've got Season 6, Episode 3, Must Be a Guy Thing. Mary, what happened this week? The gang goes back to school. For Steve, that means manipulating your class schedule to have the longest possible weekends, at least until the school realizes he cheated on his math placement exam and he's sentenced to five remedial math classes a week. He also gets Claire as a tutor. Brandon decides he wants to work at the Condor now that his political career has come to an end. Too bad Susan Keats, the editor, doesn't like his politics, or him for that matter. She lists several valid reasons the paper doesn't need him as a regular columnist. And Brandon writes a gender-flipped BuzzFeed list in response to her editorial entitled The Name of This Episode. The two challenge each other to observe the opposite sexes together for journalism, but really they just go to the pee pad together where Brandon shows Susan he's not like other guys. Susan gives Brandon a job on the condor. Brandon demands she let him take her to dinner. Dylan's idea of school is stalking Tony Marchette, the daughter of Anthony Tony Marchette, regular businessman. Dylan gets a ride to lunch with Bruno, Tony's driver, after which Tony invites him to join her at the pee pad. They run into Brandon, who glares at Dylan in a don't-stalk-your-dad's-murderer's-kid kind of way. Dylan pretends he hasn't noticed Tony's pretty, then he makes out with her in her driveway where her dad can see. Kelly learns that Colin and Valerie traveled through Europe together on a teen trip, and Valerie had a lifelong, unrequited crush on him ever since. Kelly tries really, really hard to not be jealous about it, but then Colin offers to paint a mural at the pee pad, and Kelly makes sure Val isn't going to try to steal her man. She also tells her that David has a lot going on right now, so maybe don't yell at him, please. Val tells David she can relate to what he's going through, and also sorry for being a mean boss. David says it's okay and thanks her for her offer of someone to talk to about hard family stuff. Colin goes to work on his mural, and Valerie confesses her crush on him as they reminisce about being teens in Europe together. Colin kisses Valerie, and she's like, thanks. Donna's mom's friends, the Cormans, agree to give Donna whatever she wants because she found Barbara's missing ring. Turns out Jerry is the president of a record company, and the one thing that Donna wants is for him to hear Ray sing. But it turns out the real person Ray needs to impress is the littlest Corman, Jessica, who hates Roy's boring Roy, <laughs> <laughs> who hates Ray's boring dressing room and lack of chips. But what Ray lacks in chips, he more than makes up for in harmonica. Jessica is impressed. I love that her name was Jessica, like such a '90s name, and such like a Jessica. You know, like it's right. very just like Valley Girl needing to get. Like, has daddy wrapped around her little finger name? <laughs> oh, my God. The idea that this man is the president of a record company, and he's like, my 11-year-old makes all my decisions for me. Trust me, she has an ear for it. <laughs> Sir, I don't believe you. She wants Doritos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, damn, Ray. Just go go to the vending machine. Go to Nat real quick. Tell him to get you some Doritos and book it back here. Right? Just Val. Call Val. Be like call Nat. Nat, contractually obligated Busiccio, could come over with french fries and a Coke and she'd be set for life. 
she'd be wonderful. She'd be like, Nat, do you play music? <laughs> oh, God. He would say yes. And then he would go over to his, fuck, what is that thing called? Jukebox. I was thinking you were going that way. I just wasn't sure. <laughs> thought you were going to say he was going to dig out the karaoke machine. Oh, my Ooh. God. That would have been better. It would have been. Well, so we open on the episode. It's, I guess, the night before school starts, and everyone's miserable except for Claire, which is adorable. It is adorable. And, like, we know she's super intelligent. And so the fact that everybody, especially Steve, is dreading it and Claire is just reveling in it, it's perfect. I just, every episode that passes makes me like Claire more. And I hate for the day or the episode or whatever for me to not like her again because inevitably it'll happen it's gonna like it has to happen she can't be this like fun side character that just mouths off at people forever yeah agreed and it's like she's the perfect level of sarcasm and humor that it just it's so fun to have a character like that who isn't just trying to do stuff for drama Mm -hmm. so but because this is a teen soap, teen soap, she's got to get drama at some point. She has to get drama at some point. But, like, <laughs> I kind of wish she could be, like, the straight man version of a teen soap where, like, she doesn't do all these wild things. She's just like, no, I'm on the honor roll and I'm going to get my four degrees. Bye. We can only hope. But yet the night is young because we're in season six. <laughs> God, we have so much longer. But the night is young, and Val wants to make a memorable last night before school starts. And this is when I really thought they were going to, like, turn it into, like, an overnight road trip or something. Yeah, like a little, like, mini, you know, not camping but camping episode again. Man, that would have been awesome. I mean, Donna's up to go, you know. Right? And, like, actually, people are excited about this plan. Yeah, it could have been, like, a hijinks camping not camping, euphoria, not euphoria, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. But instead, Kelly and Colin come in, at which point Val sees Colin. We realize they know each other, and everybody just abandons this idea of making a memorable night. Oh, yeah. I mean, as soon as they walk in, it's pretty much just about Colin, Val, and Kelly's face. <laughs> and just, I just need that, like push on Kelly's face as a gif forever and ever and I need it for everything I loved it so much like everyone is talking and it's just like but look at Kelly I know I I wasn't even paying attention to Colin or Val I was looking at Kelly yeah the only thing that I heard which I think is the only thing we need to know is that Val and Colin traveled through Europe together a few summers ago and like I know this wasn't what it was because they talk about it being like a teen school trip kind of a thing, but Kelly and Dylan traveled through Europe a few summers ago and remember how that went. Exactly. And then credits. And I have to actually point out something on the credits. I don't usually watch the credits, but because this episode was also DVD only, you know, unless you just fast forward through it, you watch the credits. I noticed... They spelled Jenny Garth's name as J-E-N-N-Y, not J-E-N-N-I-E. And I know that most, you know, some actors can change their names or change even the spellings of names. No, no, I checked because usually in IMDb, it'll say like 
as Jenny Garth, mm-hmm. spelled differently. No, no. It's pretty much always been J-E-N-N-I-E. So I'm like, but- is this an actual typo? <laughs> Right, like, have we managed to miss this for 140 plus episodes? Or, like, because you don't change these things, like, every single episode. You do an intro for the season. Yep. Maybe, like, you know, keep it going. But I feel like I'm going to have to keep an eye out for it now, see if it ever changes again. I know. So I'll have to, yeah, exactly. We'll have to, like, monitor this because it's super important to the plot and everything. It's very important. It's honestly about as important important as me realizing three episodes into the season that Jason Priestley is a producer now. Hey, it took me that long too. I didn't even realize it, but for some reason it was like, maybe it was because I was so not paying attention to the montage of CU because, you know, I'm sick of the 30 second montages that I was like, hmm, let me read these credits. <laughs> but no, this is the first time I noticed it too same like and for the same reason I'm sure which is so funny because I feel like during a 30 second montage of CU I would be like okay I can get up and like get some water go get a piece Mm -hmm. of gum go feed my cats and still get back in time to not miss anything (laughs) I could go to a Peloton ride before (laughs) the the (laughs) montage is over like it's it's the first day of class and Brandon runs into Dylan on campus at 7.30 in the morning. Like, yep, man. And Dylan says that he's here because he's found out that Tony's kid goes to school and he somehow got a hold of their schedule and knows that they have an 8 a.m., like, I think, economics class. Yeah, which, like, I had that same question. I'm like, first of all, how did you find out? Maybe why would it be in the redacted docu? The, sorry, the redacted GIF file <laughs> from the internet. Um, why would it be there? And also, yeah, like if it wasn't there, which it wasn't, definitely wasn't. How did you get access to this? Right, like it's got to be something that Brandon found on the internet in that other pile of things. And then I guess Dylan bribed someone. Like, he had the time to do all of this and find this person and their very specific econ class. Right. Exactly. And, of course, that, like, puts Brandon's spidey senses, like, tingling, you know, because he's like, nah, man, you don't want to do this. This is, like, too much. Also, they assume um, – I used the pronoun the pronouns they, them when talking and referring, but they – we're referring to he, him this whole time. So they are under working under the assumption that Tony Marchette's kid is a boy. Yeah, which I don't know how that like how does Dylan get this person's schedule and not their name, Antonia? Well, and that's the thing, is yeah, it would it wouldn't show a nickname, it would show the given name. Yeah. Like you don't want I don't yeah. I don't understand how do because he can't just go to the you know the office and be like hi I would like Marchette's schedule yeah because there might be another <laughs> but yeah they're assuming that this is a guy it's totally to you know throw off the audience whatever but it, we have to take a quick break from that because Steve and Val pull up because apparently Val's car needs an oil change and she didn't get that done before classes started, so Steve has to give her a ride. 
But all of this is just so that they can talk about her and Colin knowing each other from a previous life. And they keep using the phrase teen trip, and I kind of hate it. <laughs> because that makes me think it's like some sort of youth group, you know, like a church oh. or something. And youth group trips were always like dramatic, like always had somebody getting pregnant, somebody sneaking out, like <laughs> for whatever reason, youth group trips were lit. <laughs> I mean, I think that's just teenagers in general because, yeah, this just reminded me of when I was in high school, actually when I was 15, I went to China for two weeks Whoa. with, yeah, with this I don't even remember. It was called like people to people. So like totally sounds like a whole made up thing where I'm going to get murdered in another country. Does <laughs> not exchange exist. your people for our people. <laughs> it was bizarre. Like they did a whole like host family thing where they let us stay in a town in China, but they didn't speak English and we didn't speak. Uh, I don't remember what they spoke but like one girl on the trip was Chinese but they had such thick accents she couldn't speak to them and they gave us all alcohol at 15 whoa yeah like <laughs> teen trips <laughs> teen trips man yeah but Valerie insists that nothing ever happened she just had a huge crush on him and like this is the talk of the entire group you know Donna and Claire are talking about it. They're, you know, making all these jokes about, did they go to Rome? Oh, Valerie always goes to Rome. Mm -hmm. And like Kelly comes up behind them and it's a whole thing. I do love kind of that, like whenever Claire and Donna are together, Claire brings out Donna's kind of, I guess it is a little bit more sarcastic because, you know, Donna's always bubbly and positive and at most times the writers intend to make her sound dumb. But I feel like Claire and her are a perfect combination of humor and sarcasm, you know, because Claire's all salty about everything and Donna's light about everything. So together it's like this perfect comedy troupe. I just need the comedy duo, you know, Claire and Donna. I just need it. Like truly the Claire Donna Kelly apartment like I could just watch that I could watch like friends where they just sit in the apartment all the time and like rarely venture out I would love it I would be fine with it yeah for sure and I guarantee they can all do comedy well too like we know that Tori Spelling can because she's been doing it for the past six seasons we know Jenny Garth can because her lines like with her delivery she's so strong plus later on when she gets to be in what I like about you she's hilarious and then guaranteed and I'm blink Kathleen Robertson there we go just hit yep. me um guaranteed she can do comedy because she nails sarcasm that's the thing. like the way that she delivers her lines is just perfect like mm -hmm. If it wasn't her, 90% of what comes out of Claire's mouth wouldn't be believable. Yeah, agreed. And I, I guess that's kind of a perfect segue back in because Kelly insists that she is not jealous. And, I mean, you can't believe her. Well, and I can't blame her either because it's Valerie. Like, Valerie has gotten involved in Ray and Donna's relationship. She has been 
kind of behind the back of the group to get to Dylan. She's even put the moves on Brandon, and she slept with Steve, the only person in this friend group who she hasn't tried to corrupt or not even corrupt, but just get her claws into is David. And that's probably just because David's been in Portland and then trying to help his mom. Like, David's just been too busy. (laughs) Yeah, but even in this episode, you can see the two of them starting to talk to each other. Exactly. And yeah, I mean, last episode, Val conned everyone into thinking that she's their friend, but I feel like Kelly is too intuitive to even know like okay you may have changed now but like this is from past Val's life and that coming back in like I just don't trust you around my boyfriend yeah 100% like the fact that you have history makes my you know hair stand on its end tenfold if you then if you never had a history at all Mm -hmm. but she insists she's like no I'm not worried about it and you know Colin is even coming to school today and we're going to get coffee together. Like she is just going to, you know, keep saying the same thing over and over again, hoping it's believable. Yeah. But it's 8 a.m. now. So we have to go to this econ class where the professor is taking role out loud, Mm -hmm. which does not happen. I was was about to say professor's calling role. That doesn't happen. <laughs> no, they pass a piece of paper around and you sign your name on it. Tops. Yep, tops. Because then pretty much every class is just like it's individual responsibility. So you show up or you don't. It's totally up to you because you are an adult. Yeah, I had off the top of my head, I had one professor that legitimately cared about you being in class or not. Yeah. But this is how. You know, the audience and Dylan get to find out that Tony Marchette is Antonia Marchette, T-O-N-I, played by Rebecca Gayhart, who was also Betty in Dead Like Me, and she's in Scream 2 as one of the sorority girls. Which she was in with Kathleen Robertson, because Claire's in Scream 2, too. (laughs) Um, and also, Mary, this was the person that I was thinking that you might know actually more than Ariel because she was married for a long time to McSteamy. What? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I'm talking recently filed for divorce. Like, long time since like 2002 or something like that. I'm, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She and Eric Dane were married long time. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> No, like, I had no idea. (laughs) Well, that's fun. Yeah, she was in Dead Like Me, I think only Mm -hmm. for the two seasons. I don't think she was in the movie, but that show is just amazing. I'm sad it only went two seasons. But yeah, Dylan sees her. I guess he's, like, you know, in his mind kind of changing up his plans to be like, okay, it's not a guy. It's a girl. I look like this. I got it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So much so that, like, after class, he tries to catch up to her by faking talking on a cell phone, which was incredible. He just put it up to his ear and then put it down. (laughs) Yeah, he, like, goes up to her, purposefully bumps into her so that he can pick up all of her books because how else do you talk to women on campus? Right. And invites her to go get coffee with him. To which she turns him down immediately, and she has kind of like a weird um, little dip of her eyebrow, you know, almost like a, oh, 
you literally just bumped into me. Why would you be offering to buy me coffee? This is not a big deal. But you can tell she's intrigued because she's like probably thinking you're extremely cute, but also you only just bumped into me. So now I'm a little hmm about it. Yeah. And I feel like that little moment is what Dylan uses to be like, okay, I can keep stalking her and I'll just do this again later Mm -hmm. and it'll work, which I mean, I guess this whole episode is about, you know, the relationships between men and women, but for sure. Which is actually a really good transition to the next scene. <laughs> huh. It's like, it's like, didn't Jason Priestley also direct this episode? Yes, he did. Yeah. Okay, good, good. I was about to give credit where credit was due, which is a good sign of a good director to build in these transitions perfectly. Because while it doesn't seem like a perfect transition at first, Steve is essentially kissing his schedule and praising whoever because he has Monday and f- no Monday and Friday classes, nothing before 11. He fails upward constantly. And poor David, who actually has things going on in his life, had to miss registration because he was spending time with his mom. Brandon's having a whole crisis of conscience and deciding, oh, I can't be president anymore, so I'm going to be a journalist. Here's the perfect transition. So, Kelly, Donna, Claire walk up. They've got a newspaper and they're like, well, good luck trying to be a journalist at the Condor because this editor sounds great. And they actually do mean great by this because the the column that the editor wrote is called Must Be a Guy Thing, a top 10 list of boorish behavior designed to introduce incoming co-eds to a new and distinct species. The college male, a.k.a. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. The newspaper article. (laughs) AKA, this is a list of Steve. (laughs) Right? Steve and like mostly Brandon, but Brandon thinks he's better than this. Steve and Steven. (laughs) Steven just thinks all of these things are good things. (laughs) I mean, like he does interrupt a few times. But I was honestly like the very first one where they're like thinking any woman who doesn't go out with him is lesbian. I was waiting for Steve to be like, well, I mean, look at me. Yeah. Like to comment on every single one of them. I was waiting for it. Yeah. Because the list starting from 10 going down, we have thinking any woman who won't go out with him is a lesbian. Calling any woman other than a grandmother a chick. Flirting with other women while on a date which I'm pretty sure we've actually seen Steve do. Easily. Uh, Bikini calendars and beer can collages. ESPN, to which Brandon and Steve reply, what about ESPN too? To be fair on that one, I would be okay with that. (laughs) But I know I'm out of the ordinary. At least in 1996. So, yeah. I mean, to be fair, like that one – like sports this is a whole like women can't like sports assumption here I think what could also be like substituted for that is is it like just being a being easily distracted by something else right Mm -hmm. like because sometimes it yeah it's the sports thing versus at the time you know there's a big distinction between men and women liking sports but I think it's more of the fact that they get really like one track mind about something and can't really multitask Mm -hmm. which i will also say this episode is written by a man yeah so i i think that probably says a few things about it 
Uh, but anyway, continuing down the list, constant interruptions, at which point Steve interrupts, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, liking Rush Limbaugh, liking Howard Stern, and expecting to score on the first date. And at first, when they're like going over this thing, I'm like, okay, these are, this is some writing that I could kind of get behind because they're then positioning Claire, Donna, and Kelly as like, yeah, you guys need to like actually take this list seriously and learn from it, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it's very much, it has more of a feminist angle to it than what we normally see. As we'll see as we go over this, the rest of this episode, they go so far and then take a million steps back. And then they get forward a little bit more and then take more steps back. Yeah, this was really weird to me because it felt like the show was trying to be like, look, this is, you know, we find out her name is Susan Keats. She's a man-hating feminist. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, this list also feels like very clearly a joke. Right. And, like, when they first bring it up, Kelly makes a comment about how this editor is not Andrea Zuckerman. <laughs> I was like, no, Andrea would literally never let that into her newspaper. No. as If it's not about the, um, the latest conflict overseas, <laughs> get the F out of my paper. <laughs> yeah. Andrea was very serious. And, like... Mm-hmm. Susan is serious in real life, but I feel like this, like, first episode of – or first edition of the school year, she's probably, like, trying to, you know, use her own voice in it. Sure. Because she is – she's a brand new editor, apparently. Right. And then Colin shows up, kisses Kelly, Val rushes off, and we move on from this. It's just yet another – glimpse into Valerie's actual pining for Colin, right? She tries to yeet right out of there, but yeets her coffee onto the table. So clearly this girl is actually caught up. It's so funny how Val in a lot of times when she's got her like Val face on is, you know, so cool and collected and manipulative and like she's always thinking 10 steps ahead But then, like, anything that shatters that facade, like, seeing a boy that you had a crush on when you were 15, like, you can see it. Like, you can Mm -hmm. actually see it. She spills her coffee all over everyone. That's not something that fake Val would do. I'm telling you. Like, I think – and maybe I don't know. So I would love somebody to to correct me. But, like, is Tiffany Thiessen underrated? I don't know. Maybe she was properly rated at the time. But I just feel like she is one of the strongest actors of the bunch, right? Because the fact that we so believe her, that she's all caught up, but we know she's not normally like that, but you can see the change and you can see all these little, you know, manipulations of her mannerisms and things like that. It's just, yeah, she's she's one of the, if not the greatest, I'll say one of the greatest actors of the bunch. I mean, you have to think that whoever cast her knew what they were doing since mm-hmm. before this she was Kelly Kapowski. Right. And she was beloved, not because not only because she was beautiful, but because she was a great character. Yeah, like this Val is probably as far apart from Kelly Kapowski as you can get. 
Yeah, definitely. But so the next scene, when Steve was talking about his amazing schedule earlier, he says like, oh, yeah, it's so great. But my student advisor wants to talk to me. He said a meeting. And apparently three years into college, someone is finally looking at Steve's transcripts and his placement test and realizing that it's all BS. Well, yeah, because remember back freshman year when he like declared as an astrophysics physics major <laughs> or something like that? Yes. And I was like, is he finally going to get in trouble for this? <laughs> Just took two years. Yeah. But this man has caught on to Steve, realized that he is completely unqualified to be a junior in college, which technically he's not. He told us that two episodes ago. And he assigned Steve up for remedial math five mornings a week. And Steve looks like he's about to cry. Yeah, he does like a fake lip quiver and everything. I mean, this is literally the worst case scenario for frat boy Steve, right? Like absolute worst case scenario, because not only is it Monday and Friday, it's in the mornings on Mondays and Fridays, as well as Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So it's almost like he's back in everyday detention like he was senior year, second semester. Which like... It's so funny because he does – I feel like his, like, lip quiver and looking like he's about to cry, you know, we cut away. But I imagine if we had stayed in this scene, he'd immediately start making excuses as to why he can't do these things. And this man Mm -hmm. is just like, no, but, like, you don't understand fractions. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right? Like, you don't understand anything about math. (laughs) Like, it's it's one of the few things you actually have to do in order to graduate. Mm, right. Oh, Steve. I feel like Steve should not have gone to college. Yeah. And that's okay. Like, yeah. if he if he didn't – wasn't a school kind of guy, that's totally fine. Go take a job with Rush or your mom and find out what you like and are good at. You know, like, find something else. Like, college isn't for everyone. Yeah, I mean, like, they totally did this just to, you know, make sure everybody does the same thing at the same time. But, I mean, Dylan doesn't go to class. Yeah, exactly. he's still around. Like, yep. Steve should have just taken some time off, figured out what he wanted to do, like, grown up a little bit. And then maybe remedial math five days a week would either not be a thing he has to do or a thing he's willing to do. Right. But so, you know, he's doing that. Colin has made it onto campus for his meeting. He's finished his meeting. Kelly goes to meet him at the art building. And apparently Colin's friend offered him a job teaching at this university, which I just called BS on. Well, and it also is a little unclear who Colin's friend is and who he, or at least who he would be because we don't entirely know how old Colin is. You know, what work experience he has? Is he fresh out of school? Did he go? Well, I think we, we know he went to art school. But, you know, we we know very, very little about Colin Robbins. And so to have a friend with enough clout to be able to offer a job or at least talk to somebody who could then offer a job based on his credentials. Yeah, seems a little sus. And that Colin would then have the audacity to turn it down. <laughs> right. Like. He says that he moved out to L.A. so that he could, you know, paint for himself or work for himself and not work for other people. And this does, you know, 
I don't want to say raise red flags for me, but we don't know anything about Colin. And I'm like, I'm mm-hmm. very suspicious of you. Yeah. And it, and it could also be the thing of, well, where does your income come from right now? Right. Mm-hmm. Like if you, that's totally fine. If you want to be able to be in control of your own work and eventually get a residency in a gar- in a gallery somewhere, totally great. But are you there yet? And if you're not, what are you doing until then? How are you making money? How are you getting your name out there? Like, what's going on? We need a little bit more exposition here. <laughs> right? Like, it feels like they're giving Kelly Collin in the way that they gave Donna Ray yeah. to be like, oh, Ray is an up-and-coming music performer and Colin is an up-and-coming artist. But, like, we see Ray putting in the work and we just haven't seen that yet for Colin. So, like – when he's sitting here being like, I'm not taking that job. I'm like, but what are you doing? Can you give me like a five-year plan? Right. Or at least what you've done in the last five years. That would suffice too. (laughs) But like Kelly does not have any problem. Like she immediately pivots this conversation to be like, I thought you moved to LA to be with me. Also, weird that you know Valerie, right? (laughs) Yeah. And of course, Colin plays like decent boyfriend here where he's like yeah but it was like a teen trip it was that teen tour we took across europe (laughs) teen 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 and kelly is still skeptical rightfully so anytime val is involved totally get it but then you know colin does the thing that i hate that writers do in television when they give men things to say about women they're not attracted to and he says well add 20 pounds and a mouthful of braces and you you get the picture and First of all, 20 pounds, absolutely nothing. Right? Like, everyone on this show is like 100 pounds. This is nothing. I was about to say, literally for Valerie, it's probably the difference between 120 pounds and 140 pounds. Like, are you serious? If that. If that. But like, yeah, it's it's this fat shaming to be like, I couldn't possibly have been into her because she was fat and had braces. Right. And like, ooh, orthodontia, so not sexy. You're a teenager. Right. When like, are you supposed to have braces? I had braces my entire like middle school career. You think I had any dates? No. <laughs> right? I was going to say two thirds of this podcast had braces. <laughs> yeah. Like braces are just things you have to go through to get a smile. Okay. <laughs> right. And like, to be fair, I probably should have had braces. We just got lazy with me. Dude. Take it from a person who has now had braces thrice. Yeah, thrice. <laughs> Don't make fun of braces. Like, I would seriously, think- what is wrong with orthodontia? <laughs> Literally nothing. I mean, truly, I need, like, bottom braces or, like, Invisalign or something literally right now. And imagine being a 30-year-old with braces instead of a 15-year-old with braces. Yeah. Colin. <laughs> Colin. Ugh. Yeah. So anyway, so that's just like one of the things that bothers me is like just like slap on a couple things that society deems unacceptable for a woman, but not for a man. Or if they do, women don't say it. Right. Um, So I just don't like that. Like that's kind of what I meant earlier by the show goes a little bit forward to pull her right back. Like almost kind of like, oh, I'm starting to run. They grab me by the shirt, pull me right back. You know, right. Like, must have been a guy thing if she was being serious. I feel like number one would have been, like, fat shaming or slut shaming. Shaming. Yeah. I was going to say, or anything to do with looks shaming, right? Yeah. But, like, 
they just completely move past this because you know Kelly's like, okay, well, yeah, she had twenty pounds and braces back then, but she's grown up a lot. And Colin says, I've noticed, and then speed sketches Kelly's face, and we're done. Yeah, like Kelly should have hyper fixated on that moment, not any other moment before. It's literally impossible that he did that sketch in the 25 seconds we were in the studio. <laughs> or else he needs to compete. <laughs> like There needs to be a speed art contest and he will win it. It's like the episodes of The Flash and Arrow that we literally just watched. Oh where my god. <laughs> he uses flash speed to sketch. Like <laughs> literal superpowers. Colin should be tested. He's got some sort of, yeah, did a reactor explode somewhere or a, or did he, <laughs> is that what he did for the last five years? He trained on some remote island? Like, what's going on here? Bitten by a radioactive track star. <laughs> yeah. Like, where did but he get the hand? <laughs> just the hand. It only focused to the hand. Sometimes you see his hand shaking. That's just his powers. <laughs> He's just drawing in the air. <laughs> yeah. He needs an outlet. Give give this man a piece of paper. <laughs> I feel like these are all so much more interesting things than what's actually happening on the screen. Can you imagine, though, if, like, half the shit we say was actually written and put onto a television? <laughs> We'd be canceled in three episodes. Yeah. No, we would never get the pilot. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we have to keep moving. Because the next ep- scene, we meet a new character. Because Brandon is at the Condor. Yep. And we finally see on our screens Emma Caulfield. And oh my God, how does this show constantly age people? Which I think is hilarious because in like four years, she goes back to play a teenager on Buffy. Exactly that. And the first image that you look at her on IMDb, she looks younger there now as an almost 50-year-old, or I think a 50-year-old, than she does in this episode. It's wild. But, like, I about lost it. I just started writing in my notes. There is an episode of Buffy. So she plays Anya on Buffy, where technically her name is, like, Ode or something, and she's a demon. But they take away her demon power, so she becomes mortal and a human. And I don't remember exactly what happened, but, like, someone is coming into where she works. And so she makes up this entire backstory for herself to pretend that she's been a human forever. And she goes, she's Anya Christina Emanuela Jenkins, born on the 4th of July. Oh, that's awesome. What commitment. <laughs> she also loves money. One of my favorite lines in Buffy is when they're playing the game of life and she goes, can I trade the children for more money? Oh, my God. <laughs> That's love- awesome. She's easily one of the best characters on Buffy. So I was beyond excited to see her finally pop up. Yeah. I mean, she has a pretty <clears throat> she has a pretty illustrious TV career. So we're just getting heavy hitters after heavy hitters. Now, granted... Some of them hadn't been heavy hitters yet and go on to become the heavy hitters. But yeah, it's like getting some serious star power going on. Yeah. And honestly, like she owns this scene. Like she can bring it to Brandon so mm-hmm. well because he he comes in, he wants to write a column and she's just like, no, you can't just have a column. And he's like, I don't know if you knew this. I was president last year. 
He tries to pull his dumb clout thing again, and now this scene has convinced me that, okay, the writers do understand what white male privilege is, they just don't want to show it with Steve. <laughs> like, yeah, they know exactly, like, by giving, giving Susan Keats, God, that was a mouthful, the ability and the opportunity to say to Brandon that you can't just waltz in here and expect a job with absolutely no background, no samples, no this, that, except for obituaries, you know, all this, <laughs> that, and the other thing, and just grab a column. Like, people in here work hard every single day to get that column. Yeah, like... Brandon hasn't worked for a newspaper in two years and then somehow he just gets the Boston Herald and then comes back and expects to be on the Condor. It's a whole thing. But she calls him out on it. And, you know, this is a very interesting thing because she does kind of call him out on his white boy privilege. But then by the end of the episode, he's cooled down her man-hating feminist ways. I don't know. It's weird. It is weird because she's so staunch, you know, in this first scene with her to the point where Brandon's like, okay, do you object to my politics or the fact that I wear pants? Like he's brought up the fact that like she might not have voted for him, but also he's a man and she, it seems like she just doesn't like men. And then Susan just like, like, I don't know, straight face. Mm, honestly, I object to everything about you. <laughs> you don't even know me. Exactly. Why ruin a good thing? Exactly. So right off the bat, it has nothing to do but everything to do with what he's saying and how mm -hmm. he's approaching her. And I think that's a nuance to a character that we haven't yet seen. You know, like there's the man-hating angry feminist, but there's a little nuance here. It's like, no, you're kind of just being entitled and I don't like that. Yeah, because she accuses him of wanting the column just so that he can run for president again next year and have this on his resume. Exactly. Like, Which, I to be fair, earlier at the uh, Condor's Nest, he was telling Steve and the rest of the gang, like, what do all politicians do whenever they're not politicians anymore? They become journalists. Like, he's literally just trying to follow the status quo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like... It kind of doesn't seem like Brandon actually has a passion for this. And I think that's what Susan picks up on of like, you sent me obituaries and you didn't do anything about this for the last two years. Right. But she will have nothing to do with him. She walks away. And then we have to go to another location where Ray is welding. <laughs> I didn't know he could weld. This is a new <laughs> little insight into uh, Ray Pruitt. See, this is the thing. Ray can do it all. Colin <laughs> gets mad. <laughs> yeah, Colin analyzes walls. Ray makes the walls. <laughs> what do you see after dark? Night. <laughs> that may have been my quote of the week if 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 something else didn't take its place. Uh, we're not even there yet. Because Ray is welding. Donna is calling him at work because... Mr. Corman, like Mary mentioned, they want to thank Donna for finding uh, his wife's ring. And the way that she wants to be thanked is for them to come see Ray play at the pee pad, which I feel like she could have been like, come see my boyfriend play at the pee pad next week instead of tonight, because Ray's even like, I'm not playing tonight. Mm -hmm. Right. So now he has to like 
maybe rearrange his schedule. I don't know how long he has to weld, but you know, he has to get ready for a sound check or possible rehearsal, all of that by tonight, but he's genuinely excited about it. So that's a good little transition to our next scene where Val is equally freaking out about stuff this time by what's wrong at the pee pad, you know, kind of getting things ready. She walks into the peach pit saying, Nat, this thing's broken and we need to fix this and da 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 So he contractually obligated Nat Basicchio goes and helps fix these things. But really, it's just to give us a chance to see Val and Colin talk. Yeah, because Colin is, you know, just like, oh, my God, you work here? And she's like, I mean, kind of. I own the club next door, which is such a flex. Oh, my goodness. I would flex it. Flex it if he got it. Absolutely. Because he's even like, oh, cool. And she's like, yeah, come see it. Yep. And we finally get to see a deeper less public interaction between Val and Colin. Um, And I'll just mention, I get some strong Dylan wannabe vibes from Colin here because he dresses very simply, right? Just the plain t-shirt and jeans most of the time. Um, He's very, he's more broody than any of the other boys, just like Dylan is. And so I can see the honest attraction to a type from Val. So I think Val's actual type is something more like this rather than Steven Brandon. Oh, absolutely. Because, I mean, this whole conversation between the two of them is, you know, reminiscing about the teen trip they went on and how in Oslo they missed the bus and Colin gave her his sleeping bag. Also, where was her sleeping bag on this trip? I guess Mm -hmm. it was on the bus, but like, I'm very confused about how this whole thing happened. But because he didn't have a sleeping bag, he went and shared a sleeping bag with another girl, which does seem like a very Dylan thing of like, oops, I don't have a sleeping bag. Which be- begs the question, why didn't he just share his own sleeping bag with Val? Because she had 20 more pounds and braces. Ah, uh, yes, the shaming. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. But like it all gets cut off because Colin looks to the side and sees her very nice wall. he's distracted immediately like I almost thought about the episode and get him to the Greek where like the don't touch the fuzzy wall thing (laughs) like I almost got vibes of like he was tripping and just needed to go touch the wall see and I thought about the street art guy from New Girl who just takes to the bar and he comes out and he's like can I paint a skylight from hell on the bathroom floor and Nick's just like (laughs) I would prefer if you didn't (laughs) oh god so many good references here but like especially the way that Colin talks about this wall and you know how he's just gonna put things that are after dark on it I was like this is gonna not look fantastic and it's too on the nose like you don't have to be literal with it you could be metaphorical or I think later on, you know, Colin is brainstorming and Kelly sees New York on the wall, right? Like there's doesn't just have to be a peach pit. After, like imagine if he literally just opened up a peach, you know, put the peach pit on the wall and a nighttime, a nighttime. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's he literally says night. Like what if he just drew a peach and then inside was like a starry night with a moon? Oh, see, that would at least be a little better. <laughs> Mine's just like a background of night, a night, and 
a peach pit. <laughs> I painted the wall black. It's dark. Yeah. You're welcome. This is this is why I'm not a creative. I have nary a creative bone in my body. But Kelly comes in. She sees them talking about the mural. It's just another thing in Kelly's mind of seeing Val and her boyfriend together. Mm-hmm. And it just reinforces Val's attraction and her genuine attraction to him. Mm-hmm. But back at school, not genuine attraction, Dylan is now stalking the other Tony Marchette. Yep. And at this point, this is when we learn that Tony, you know, she doesn't need a ride from Dylan because she has one. <clears throat> a very expensive one. A very official one. A very protected one. And... You know, Dylan's like, whoa, you know, he makes some comments on that. And basically, Tony says that her father, which we know to be Anthony Tony Marchette, he thinks that she needs protection. From what? We don't really know. And to be honest, Tony's just like from basically everything. Um, and Dylan's like, okay, well, all right, that's cool. Well, can we do lunch? And then here comes Bruno. I love that Bruno's like, she can't do lunch with you. You're a stranger. He's basically saying stranger danger. <laughs> yeah. And Tony is like incredibly breezy for being a mobster's daughter. But I feel like that's kind of like the trope. I don't know. It sure. feels about right where she's just like, oh, yeah, you know, my dad just protects me from his imagination. And you're not a stranger and I'm inviting you to lunch. So get in my car with Bruno, who could kill you with two fingers. Yeah. <laughs> and Dylan, because he's reckless and clearly has no, um, you know, kind of, I don't know. The, he, Dylan just, to me, feels like he thinks he's untouchable at this point. Like, he, whatever he does is going to be fine. I mean, he literally brought a gun into an elevator with four other bodyguards. But, you know, so he's like, cool, let's go. Because he's trying to do anything he can to get to her father. Yeah, I literally wrote, this is not going to help with Dylan thinking he's untouchable. Yeah. I mean, he thinks he, nothing can harm him. He's just going to get out of this. And that's just more of a immaturity and a ignorance that he has about mobsters <laughs> oh yeah this is definitely proving like that we need to be reminded these kids are like 20 and 21 they are yeah. dumb yeah <laughs> like literally it's a weird segue but it works into the next scene because brandon goes back to susan and puts his three less than 300 words down which definitely looked like a menu at first i went yes. back to see if it was like a pee pad menu or something. It did. It looks like a um, a menu for a wedding reception. Yeah, it did. <laughs> to be like, here is your prefix menu. Mm-hmm. But it's not. It's his must be a girl thing, a direct response to her editorial. Which is which it includes no sense of humor, dancing with other girls. That one was what? interesting. Yeah, I don't mm. Raising the curve by flirting with the professors as if Brandon himself didn't seduce and have sex with a professor. It's fine. Pretending guys want it more. That's just patronizing? Anyway. Foreplay just proves to me 
that Brandon's really bad at sex. Right? Like, first of all, you know, you hear a lot that when foreplay comes up, boy, sorry, that was Noodle, that when foreplay comes up, she's like, I have some things to say about this. Yeah, with foreplay, at least from what we've heard in pop culture, boys just don't know it exists, right? It's like it doesn't even cross their mind because then once a woman a woman brings it up to them, they're like, you like that? What? You know, like that can actually produce the end result, not just me ramming into you the entire time. <laughs> like, that's what I'm used to, at least in pop culture. But at first, because Brandon like cuts her off at foreplay, I almost wanted to believe there was like something else to it, right? There was an extended phrase that went along with that. It wasn't just the word. I would hope. Because otherwise, yes, I think he's just bad at sex. <laughs> I mean, like, so he says before she starts reading this list out, he says, let's see if you really do print on the basis of talent and not reputation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's like, I I genuinely think this is him trying to be funny and, like, match her tone from the last one. But she said ESPN and you said foreplay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, you took it way too far. It's just such a different tone because – the fact that pretending guys want it more is immediately then followed with foreplay is just, it's all about the one line of thinking that was in the must be a guy thing. Mm-hmm. And the last one that she says out loud is only interested in one set of opinions, her own, which is so clearly just pointed at her. Right, exactly. And that's the other thing. I'm imagining that Susan, when she wrote her piece, was referring to the male gender as a whole. Brandon was clearly writing this out of spite. Yeah, like, this is just not talent. Sorry. (laughs) But she does make a good point. She says that while he was president last year, he only spoke to the chancellor and the editor and nobody else. So she's never met him before. She doesn't have any opinion on him other than the writing samples that he has submitted. Mm-hmm. And her only hope is that she can bring his ego back down. And girl, that is all of our hopes. <laughs> right. And the other thing that bothers me in this is is Susan is clearly trying to walk away from the conversation and Brandon just grabs her. And I know that's, you know, probably more, again, a product of 2021 or, God, 2022 than 1996. But I just immediately tensed up and Mm -hmm. when he grabbed her. And he wasn't doing it to be, you know, the intent wasn't bad. He was trying to get her attention. That's all he was doing. So I understand intent there. It just still made me tense up. And this scene in general, not to bash Brandon, because – For the longest time, for basically a season, almost a full season now, I've been warming up to him and he's been growing up or growing on me. But now this whole scene is kind of why he hasn't completely won me over yet, you know, because he still has these kind of macho, egotistical entitlement. And I'm just not a fan. Right. Like if he had not grabbed her, I'd be fine with it Mm because like. The next thing he does is he, like, challenges her and he's like, we just need to do research. We need to observe men and women in the field. Let's go to the pee pad. It's not a date. It's a challenge. Right. Because at that point, you love a good spar. 
right? It's good banter. Which, like, I think is a lot of what they were trying to do. But like you said, like, 2022 brain, he grabs her. And I'm just sitting here thinking, like, you do not touch a woman without her consent. And if these roles were reversed, like, she would not grab you. Right. And I think, yes, 100% to that point, it's now you've put her on defense, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you've made her potentially think, oh, he's threatening, you know? Like, this is... This is a guy who's just grabbed me when I didn't ask him to, when I've never, we have no relationship beyond what this has been. So now I feel unsettled, right? Yeah. And like, it doesn't help that she has said no to him multiple times and now he's like physically in her space. Exactly. But yeah, 2022 brain, I know that's not what Jason Priestley was going for. 100%. And and neither was the show as a whole. Like, absolutely yeah. not. Because we know Brandon to be a good guy. He's the main character. He's the protagonist. It's just our brains and how, unfortunately, they're wired these days. Yeah. Golden boy Brandon would never do anything to hurt anyone. It's just, it's yes. weird. But, so he's mentioned the pee pad. We're going back to the pee pad where Colin is like spitballing he's trying to come up with ideas he and kelly are staring at this blank wall talking about night (laughs) and like you said you know kelly closes her eyes and she remembers all this stuff from new york where she's seeing like steam vents and yellow cabs and that does give colin he's like oh i can bring gotham to la which Mm -hmm. you know i think is probably what he's gonna end up doing and everyone's gonna think it's amazing and i don't know maybe kelly's his muse now Right. And I kind of love that. Uh, yeah. And, you know, while they're talking, David comes in. Val gets, like, real up in his business about him being late. But he's been really stressed because he's been spending a lot of time with his mom. I mean, that's how he missed his registration the other day. You know, he's trying not to make a big deal out of it. But Kelly's not going to let that go. She's going to go into older sister mode and go tell Val that she needs to back off. And I appreciate that from Kelly because, again, we've seen this reinforcement of the sibling relationship between Kelly and David. And Mm -hmm. this is something that is – Kelly probably does for two reasons. The first one being completely, like like you said, protecting, defending David because he really is going through something. And then, of course, being able to hand it to Val, right? Like she's gunning for any reason possible to tell her off. Which Val literally picks up on immediately. She's like, are you coming down on me because of David or because of Colin? Right. And probably both. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Which is why, like, Val and Kelly is such a great relationship. Like, Agreed. It's not a good one, but, like, they're both so intuitive and smart. That's the thing is they share so many personality traits that that's why seeing them spar is almost even more satisfying because not only do they bring it as char- or as actors from an acting standpoint, but their characters are quite similar. So they know each other's MO, they know their behaviors, and they can point it out. Yeah, like, I just love it. I can't wait to see what comes up with those two characters. Yep. And then meanwhile, we do one more jump before we go back to the pee pad tonight and, like, you know, everything there. But Dylan and Tony have just finished having lunch, and Dylan has bought the bodyguard a steak lunch as well. Love that for him. Love it. Like, so smart. And he's trying to get Tony to talk about her bodyguard, about her dad. You know, he 
is still in this thinking that he's going through Tony T-O-N-I to get to Tony T-O-N-Y. Mm-hmm. And this sweet girl, Tony, like, I don't know if she's just rehearsed all this stuff. Like, she has to know what her dad does. But she's like, oh, yeah, you know, my dad wears many hats. He's in high finance, you know, boring stuff you wouldn't want to hear about. And, you know, they end this lunch with Tony wanting to meet up again tonight. She's like, don't worry about Bruno. Don't worry about my dad. I know how to get out of my, you know, gilded tower. Mm -hmm. And she wants to go to the pee pad. And Dylan acts like he doesn't, he doesn't blatantly say he doesn't know what it is or hasn't been there or has no affiliation to it, but he also doesn't say he does. So he knows he's aware of the club. <laughs> he's like, cool. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. I will say these two actors have very good chemistry. They do. And again, it's one of those things where like, I think a lot of it has to do with who they are. Like, Mm-hmm. I just think Rebecca Gayhart is a very good actress. Oh, totally. Yeah, they're both extremely charismatic, um, believable actors. So it's it's similar to Tiffany Thiessen. Like you put them on screen, give them a give them a role, give them a character bio, and they'll take it and run with it. Yeah, I mean, casting director for this nails a lot of these roles. Oh yeah, for sure. Like it's pretty great. So. We skip ahead in the timeline. It's night. Brandon is leaving to go to the pee pad. Everyone's basically on their way there, except for Steve, who has to do 20 tutor interviews in 30 minutes. And he's real gross about it, and he's looking for gorgeous and corrupt. Also, 20 interviews in 30 minutes. This is why Steve needs a tutor. (laughs) No, Steve, (laughs) math. That's but yes. not even a minute and a half. Oh, it is a minute I, and a half. Exactly. But yeah, like what can you possibly get done? And to that point, you know, we eventually get there, which maybe we can go ahead and talk about since it's a little bit outside of the rest of the group. He literally like starts interviewing people. One of them thinks that she's going to be or thinks that he's tutoring her. Another doesn't speak English well. And the other is actually like, dude, I'm not going to take your tests for you. I'm not going to do anything you want. Because basically his rules are, you take my tests for me. What are his rules? I I didn't write it down. I got caught up in the fact that the girl that thinks that she's the one getting tutored is Pam Macy from that 70s show. Oh, I missed that. I immediately recognized her and I was like, why do I recognize her? And she's in like two episodes of that 70s show. But I was like, Pam Macy, how many times do they talk about Pam Macy? <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, basically his his he wants somebody to basically do all the work for him. So it's exactly what he has always gotten in trouble for. And that one guy that was like probably a strong candidate was like, absolutely not. I'm not I'm not ever going to do anything like that. I also just have to point out, for as much as we usually love Steve's outfit, he is wearing very long jorts with high white sh- high white socks and sandals. Apparently, Steve's lounge around the house wear, not great. It's uh, akin to those who cheer for the Florida Gators. Apologies to our Gator fans. Like, why couldn't he just be in, like, sweatpants and a tank top or something? Yeah. Put on your athleisure, bro. Get that crop top out. It's September. (laughs) 
But yeah, it was just supposed to be this like jokey little scene where Steve can't get what he wants. And then we go to the pee pad and we see everybody. So we get like all of the different storylines kind of wrapping up into this one night. Yep. So first we see Brandon pulling up to the pee pad. He's, you know, walking straight to the front door and Susan is in line. She's all dressed up. She's got her makeup on and she's being like weirdly flirty with him. Yeah, it was like a nervous flirty. It's like she didn't really know how to act around him, you know, not around the confines of the condor. Yeah, which I didn't really understand. But then, you know, he just is like, oh, I have connections here. Come on. Like pulls her out of line, gets her to the front. They go straight past security and inside. Yeah. Then we see Val, who actually goes up to David to apologize about getting mad at him earlier and genuinely ask how his mom's doing. They have a short conversation about that, which Val kind of brings up like, hey, if you ever need to talk, I know what it's like to deal with. They said crazy parents. I don't like using the word crazy. But what was weird is that David kind of seemed conflicted about this. Mm -hmm. Like he maybe part of him forgot that about what happened to Val's father. Maybe another part of him doesn't expect her to be genuine about it, right? Because like we talked about earlier in the very beginning of our episode, is that Val hasn't really sunk her teeth into David yet, you know? And and maybe a third part of David is thinking, hold on, you know, why is she doing this? She doesn't normally mm-hmm. do this. Is she trying to get in my life? Like, maybe I don't need that drama or whatever he's thinking. I don't know. But it seems like he's pretty conflicted. Yeah, he, like, really tries to bail quickly. He's like, oh, I got to go talk to Ray. But then he kind of stops for a minute and comes back, and he's like, thanks for that. Like, it is definitely a a moment where it does seem like David forgot what happened last week and that they're all supposed to like her now. Right, exactly. So he goes up to the green room. He goes to talk to Ray. And then Donna brings in the Cormans with this – Tiny little Jessica who talks shit about how the room is boring. And there's so much awkward silence. So much. And, like, it gets weird because her dad's like, oh, she's used to a larger venue. Yeah. Like, basically condescending and being passive aggressive for Jessica. (laughs) Yeah. She yawns. Like... (laughs) We sit there so long, she yawns. (laughs) Savage. But it's like all totally getting into Ray's head. It's totally weird. And like it just the weirdness carries back into the bar because Susan is making flirty eyes with this guy. And I feel like she knows what she's doing. She knows he's going to come over and do something disgusting. And he comes over and says, do you have a mirror in your pocket? And I love, I love that he finishes the pickup line and Brandon's just like, win, I'm out. (laughs) He also like backhand glance, like what's the word I'm looking for? Like grazes her arm with his fingers. And I'm like, I I think I literally shuddered. (laughs) Like it made me uncomfortable. He touches her without her permission and delivers that pickup line. Of all the pickup lines. Like, Mm -hmm. she's wearing a dress. There's no pockets. I know. That is the main female complaint of the last 20 years. (laughs) 
We have no pockets. And we continue to not have pockets except for in certain things. <laughs> Babies have more pockets than we have pockets. It's true. They don't need all those pockets. <laughs> I'm going to start using babies as pockets. <laughs> I, I brought this baby with me. It's carrying all of my things. <laughs> oh, you want my wallet? It's in that kid's vest. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Ugh. man. But anyway, Steve is sitting at the bar ordering a quadruple ginger ale. Which, this is the only time I ever identified with him this entire episode. <laughs> I just love that Claire is like, oh, man, what are you drinking? And then you just hear the bartender be like, quadruple ginger ale coming up. Yeah, like you could almost tell she was like pointedly saying like quadruple ginger ale. Yes. <laughs> but all of this ends up being, you know, Claire and Steve going back and forth about how Steve desperately needs a tutor. And Claire's just like, I cannot believe I'm doing this. But I volunteer as tribute. And I kind of love it, but also might hate it because I think this is where we're going to get the drama. I mean, it, it makes sense to make Claire and Steve attempt to be a thing. Yeah. And, I mean, we know what happens when Steve gets a hot tutor from the friend group. That's very true. That's very true. He has a history. So, yeah, I I fully acknowledge we're going to get stare or cleave. <laughs> it's got to be cleave. <laughs> cleave. They're both so good. For yeah, some we'll reason... Um, when I was trying to put their ship name together in my head, it just came out Clondria, and I'm like, damn it, <laughs> bring her back. <laughs> so then we see Colin and Kelly. They have also come to the pee pad tonight, but they're definitely going to bail to go bang it out, like, right now. Yeah, immediately. And they're actually being pretty cute, so it kind of makes me hate that Colin actually came to... <laughs> to LA or whatever because I feel like this is one of those couples that's better on their own than mm -hmm. being immersed into a group right like I mean you see it all the time like other couples you're with or even like couples within your family it's like you don't see their private moments and you don't see the times when it's just the two of them and sometimes you're like I wonder if they are different when they're at home or when they're alone you know, and I feel like Colin and Kelly, seeing them as just them, like we get this, you know, unique experience as an audience member to just see them for what they are. And I actually think they're pretty cute. But we know this is going to go bad. Specifically, L.A. is going to ruin them. Exactly. Like, I, I don't know what it's going to be, if it's going to be Brandon, if it's going to be Dylan, if it's going to be, you know, any sort of insecurity they're going to get ruined real fast. Real fast. And then we see Brandon come talk to Val, and I actually didn't clock a single thing they said because I was paying attention to Jason Priestley with the paper towel. Right? Balling it up and then throwing it to the back of the bar? Yes. He just threw trash, and nobody <laughs> said anything. Yep. So rude. So yeah. Didn't clock a single thing they said. I hope it wasn't important. Or I don't that you think it was. It. I I didn't really catch it. I just think it was you know Val saw was watching Colin and Kelly, and then so was Brandon. So it's kind of them both being on the same thing of like, oh, I still love that person over there. So we 
Anyway, moving on. Bad trash goes over there. Yeah, because we have to go outside where Tony has taken a cab. She pulls up outside. And then Dylan admits, oh, this pee pad? Yeah, I used to own this. (laughs) I used to own it. And he uses the whole, yeah, I didn't want to tell you because I don't like it when people hang out with me because of my money. She has a bodyguard and a driver. (laughs) Pretty sure her money is more. (laughs) Her money is so much more. And like, I totally get what Dylan's attempt here was, but like, this is proof that Dylan is a child who doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, it just shows that he doesn't really have a plan. He's just kind of going with it. And the fact that he lied by omission about the pee pad earlier just means he had to go with it yeah and I feel like this should have set off like a red flag but Tony's just like no it's gonna be so much fun you know let's go inside you can introduce me to your friends Mm -hmm. and literally everyone is there so he has to introduce her to everyone and they choose to sit down with Brandon and Susan which I know the whole thing is that Brandon can see Tony and make it weird and you know make eyes at what's happening Mm -hmm. but Brandon and Susan are not here on a date. They're here on a challenge. Right. And you're on, like, truly a first date. Don't sit with them. Sit by yourself. Well, yeah. And like you said, especially because Brandon knows what's up. Like, as soon as she introduces herself, Brandon immediately is like, oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. He almost looks like he's going to pull a Katie Heron and word vomit everywhere, you know, and just reveal the whole sinister plan. But luckily he doesn't. He just stares at Dylan. I almost expected the, uh, you know, the Jordan Peele um, gif of him just like profusely sweating. (laughs) That's what I was expecting Brandon's face to look like. He was so intently staring at Dylan. I mean, he does say when they sit down, he's like, oh, Tony, I've heard a lot about you. And Dylan's like, no, you haven't. You've never heard anything. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Luckily, Ray comes on stage at that moment and starts playing harmonica, and we actually get to see Jamie Walters sing. Thank God. And this is obviously the reason this was DVD only. But, man, finally. Like, I've been waiting and waiting and waiting to see this man sing, and we didn't even know he plays the harmonica. I know. Imagine (laughs) what our lives could have been like if we saw him sing last season. Right? Yeah, we get this one song. The Cormans like it. Jessica likes it. It's going incredibly well for him. And we skip to the end of the night where uh, – so Brandon is escorting Susan back to her car, and he makes a whole joke of it. He's like, I can't let you walk by yourself. It's late. It's dark. It's a guy thing. Which – again, I'm conflicted, and I don't want to spend the whole episode – being conflicted but it's one of those things where it's like it's only a guy thing because other guys have made it to where women can't confidently walk by themselves at night Mm -hmm. you know so part of me is like sure that's chivalrous but really and truly it's only chivalrous because it has to be which I feel like if this was Claire and not Susan Claire would have been like yeah because of men right Right, totally. Like, she would have pointed it out. And I also feel like, to that point, if they had been 
at the condor, Susan would have also said it then. Yeah, but instead in this scene, she's like really nice to him. She says goodnight really sweetly and leaves. And I don't know. It was just weird seeing Susan like flip a switch from the condor earlier today to the pee pad tonight. Agreed. Agreed. We need a little bit a little bit more insight into Miss Keats. Yeah, which I am looking forward to. Yeah, and I'm actually loving the whole Walsh Keats thing too. You know mm-hmm. me. I love a good nickname. Even if it's your name, it's still just a little a little thing you do. Yeah. No, I really like it. And I like that he didn't try and call her chief or anything because that's Andrea's. Exactly. Yeah. But we go inside where Claire is giving Steve her rules of homework where he has to do his homework from class. He has to do her homework that she gives him. And if he breaks her rules, her price goes up. By the way, her price is four times what he wanted to pay. Yeah. It's $20 an hour. Go, Claire. Know your worth. 100%. And Steve didn't even put it together in his mind that it was $20 an hour, which... Proof. Yeah. Yeah. But then Steve says, how much for topless? And at this point, if I was Tony, I would run. Be like, these are your friends? Gross. Yeah. Instead, she doesn't bat an eyelash, but Claire at least has the um, confidence to say... Yeah, you couldn't afford that. Which, again, Claire is amazing. Marry me, please. Right? Like, Tony says that she likes his friends. And I'm like, no, you like the girls. Right? Because, like, it's impossible not to. (laughs) Yeah. You don't like Steve. You just don't. But Dylan knows he has to get her home. He gets up to go pay. And Brandon is sitting at the cash register and is like, bro, this is not going to go well. This is going to end tragically. And this is kind of cute because Dylan's like, it's not Shakespeare. And Brandon says, no, it's just classic McKay. Yeah, I love it. Because true to basically this whole series thus far, right? We've got a whole crime TV show happening last season with Jonesy and all that. And, you know, just the amount of not drama, but the amount of just stuff that has happened to Dylan in his life during this show is something that doesn't happen to quote-unquote normal everyday kids, right? I mean, even the next scene, like he and Tony leave where he drives her home in his Porsche. So I don't want people hanging out with me for my money. Totally out the window, McKay. (laughs) Yeah. But they pull up to this giant mansion and start making out. Mm-hmm. In his car with daddy watching from the balcony. And he asks his trusty sidekick, Bruno, to check out Dylan McKay. So this will not end well. This is going to end horribly for Dylan. And he's very stupid. Yeah. Yeah, because it's one of those things where he's trying to pull the wool over an experienced financier, mobster, who has connections? Like, who can do this work and doesn't need Brandon to pull redacted FOIA articles? And because Dylan has, he's said just Dylan to Tony, right? Like, he never said his last name. Um, I did make sure to clock that. But the f- second Bruno looks it up, he's going to see the last name McKay. 
and know everything. If this is truly the man who murdered Jack McKay, he's going to know immediately. And Dylan hasn't even thought of that. Well, and like, even if he's not the guy who murdered Jack McKay, he's going to know who Jack McKay is. Right. And it's going to be a thing. Exactly. So, yeah, Dylan is heading for this tragic ending. And we go to the next morning where we're now with Colin and Kelly in Colin's apartment where he's made her breakfast. He drew a little picture of roses for her. He wakes her up before he's going to the pee pad. Very cute. And then the payphone in his bedroom rings. Yeah, the payphone. At first I was like, where are we? And then I just... You know, it was one of those like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Let me do a double take. And yeah, homeboy has a payphone in his house. Yeah. And like, it's got to be some sort of like artsy, bohemian, whatever. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't really matter because Claudia from New York is calling from the gallery. And Kelly gets something to write it down. And then for some reason, we linger on her like looking at the words Claudia from the gallery. Yeah, and, like, two things that flashed in my mind trying to diagnose Kelly's, you know, processing is, Mm -hmm. number one, does this mean that there's another woman, you know, like, just add it to the list of women that Colin's entangled with. Mm -hmm. And then the second piece is I was like, well, what if Colin is supposed to be having a job or having a deal or something with Claudia from this art gallery and he's just not showing up yeah is he running from something no that was uh, both of those were the same things going through my head because at first when she grabbed his sketchbook I was expecting her to like flip through the pages and see something she didn't want to see but then when that didn't happen I was like okay let's extrapolate what's going through her head right now Mm -hmm. exactly and that's just you know where we leave it with her she's Looking at the name Claudia, maybe, you know, she knows something from their summer in New York that hasn't been revealed to us yet. But we have to go to school where another edition of The Condor has come out and Susan has run Brandon's column because that, like, counter argument's always really good for readership. People are going to buy it. And not only that, she's going to give him a column a week for $50. You're welcome. But he'll only take it if she goes to dinner with him. Gotta love a classic manipulated date. And she says no, and he won't take no for an answer. But then he leaves, and unnamed woman comes in and says he has a cute butt, and Susan agrees. So naturally, she's going to accept the date. Even though it is manipulative, and I just, like I just don't like it. Again, it's the 2022 lens, right? Like we, yeah, we're looking at this from how we see things now, which is appropriate because that is our current day and age. This wasn't how it was back then, but that doesn't make it okay. So I think it's okay for us to point it out. I just, I don't want Susan to feel trapped, right? Like, because if I were Susan, I'd be like, fine, then you won't be a writer at this paper. Like, right. easy, cut it off, done. Yeah, but. That's not how this is going. And it's just that whole argument of a guy not taking no for an answer and the chase, you know, being the cute thing. Oh, the chase means that he's persistent. No, he's a stalker. 
mm-hmm. know? So that's where I'm leaving it on. Um, I want to believe, again, we know Brandon Walsh. We know his intent, and intent is extremely important. Yeah. Just want to make sure no means no, and he understands that. That's That's where I'm at. Have you ever, I think it's only on the Bechtel cast podcast, but I've talked about it before, at least with John, if not you guys as well, but have I ever mentioned the Buscemi test to you guys? You probably have, but I don't remember it. Yes, I think so. Where, Is it where, like, if a hot guy does something, if you replace him with Steve Buscemi, if it becomes creepy? Yeah. Okay. Mm. If it's not Jason Priestley with his cute butt pestering her and demanding that she go on dates with him and grabbing her arm and all of this stuff, and you replace that with, you know, someone who is not conventionally attractive, is it still exciting or is it scary? I mean, I'm just going to say this, but didn't we kind of do this earlier on in the episode when Colin says that he didn't bat an eyelash at Valerie because she was 20 pounds heavier and had braces? However, if she looked like she did now, it would be fine. Right? Like, it's an actual thing where you take conventional Western beauty standards and all of a sudden creepy behavior is not so creepy. Yeah. Which I guess that's kind of a pretty good segue to the final scene in the episode where Colin is at the pee pad and Val comes over and is like, hey, let's go get breakfast. I can get the guys to help unpack all your stuff. They go inside and they're talking and they're getting real close to each other physically and then he kisses her. Because cheating means nothing. And we've talked about it. The writers, the whole staff of this damn show have told us that cheating is not the worst thing you can do. But what's going to be really interesting is when Kelly finds out that her boyfriend cheated on her with Val. And it is going to be the worst thing that Val can do. Right. Like that's what it's I don't on- understand. It's only bad when Val does it. (laughs) But yeah, that's how it ends. They kiss, and I don't know if it's because he actually likes her or it's just a gesture because she had a crush on him when she was 15. I don't know. I I think that's kind of another thing to it, right? There's an added layer. Like, it's not just the fact that Colin's kissing a woman that's not his girlfriend. It's the gesture, like you said. Like, is this supposed to just be like... I'm, you know, backdating this kiss. (laughs) Like you wanted this kiss 10 years ago or how, no, not even that long, five five years ago. So sorry, it's late. Like you're hot now. (laughs) Thanks for having a crush on me so long ago. Got you this. And then Val is literally like, thanks. (laughs) Yeah. She Rory Gilmore him and just said, thanks. Oh, I was even going to make a Gilmore reference earlier with Tony being named after her father. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just don't get it, you know? Like, I don't – because to me, I'm just trying to put this in my own perspective of, like, my life. And obviously, suspend belief. This was a television show. This is heightened for drama. However, let's just think about this for a second. Let's say – we were at Nate's 
well, gosh, now it would be over a 10-year high school reunion. But let's just say, for example, this was Nate's 10-year reunion at his high school. And I went with him. Or I didn't go with him, but he was there. And a girl walks up to him and reveals that he had a, she had a massive crush on him. And so she goes on and has the same exact conversation that we see as this final scene. And he kisses her. Would I find that okay? Would I understand that that's just a gesture and a backdated kiss? Absolutely not. <laughs> well, and like, add on that you've actually met this girl in your, you know, current position. She's your rival at work. Yeah. Like, and she's like extremely beautiful now and wasn't conventionally beautiful then. Like, in what universe is this okay? <laughs> I mean, it. There has to be fallout next episode, and I'm really curious to see what it is because, yeah, like, is it going to be like when Kelly cheats on all of her boyfriends with somebody else, or is it going to be different because it's Val? Right. We will find out. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's how the episode <laughs> ends, and I think I'm ready to guess your quote of the week okay i mean i know it's not because he said it isn't but i just gotta start with things you see after dark night <laughs> <laughs> and then what i'm really gonna guess because i'm only gonna limit it to two this time is uh after the show when they're all at the peach pit and dylan goes to pay and brandon says this isn't shakes or he says, you're going for a tragic ending. And Dylan says, this isn't Shakespeare. And Brandon says, no, it's classic McKay. That was a good one. That was a good one. I had one where, um, <clears throat> sorry, where Brandon is talking to Susan and Susan said, I never said we were superior, just better. <laughs> <laughs> I did like that one. That was also a good one. And yeah, I wrote down um, this that Ari mentioned earlier. Uh, talk about your Capulets and Montagues, says Brandon. And then Dylan's like, this isn't Shakespeare. No, <laughs> just classic McKay. I thought that Man, was a good exchange. I feel like it should have been my quote of the week. And also, thanks, Valerie. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of good, you know, dialogue this episode between a lot of different characters. But, you know, I gotta go to much, much earlier in the episode when Claire and Donna were talking about the whole Kelly, Colin, Val situation, talking about the teen tour, and uh, Claire goes, and you know, when in Rome, Donna says, well, maybe they didn't get to Rome. Claire says, oh, Valerie always gets to Rome, usually by the second date. Here's why. This is why I love it. Because this was classic Claire being sarcastic, Donna being positive, Claire bringing it back down, and then Donna being like, well, yep, yep, I see your point. <laughs> like, I need more Claire and Donna, and I'm so happy we're getting it this season, because I think every episode thus far, we've had them together, and I absolutely love it. I just love them so much. Me too. Truly. I could just live in their apartment. <laughs> All right, Mary. What's your moment? Okay, so Susan was my moment of the week in her entirety, especially when she was just 
dialoguing with Brandon and making him feel bad because I needed her to do that. And she did. Also, I'm like 90% sure I saw Boomy at Ray's concert, like for a split second. It just like dipped in and then back out, like when they were showing the stage. So I think that's See, the first time I've seen Boomy this season. I thought I saw him when that guy was flirting with Susan, but it was just his hand. Yeah, I'm starting to do this in pretty much everything I watch, where if there's like a picture frame or, you know, a sliver of a decoration or something, I'm like, is that a boom mic? (laughs) (laughs) But not just this show, in all shows. No shows do this except the (laughs) ones that like get really weirdly formatted on DVD. Hey, I mean, Game of Thrones left a Starbucks cup in one of their episodes, so it could still happen. That's very true. Okay, so what's next week called? All right, so moving on to next week. Um, just have to point out that the thumbnail for this on IMDb is just Claire smiling with her eyebrows raised, and it's great. So <laughs> I can't wait already. But we have season six, episode four, Everything's Coming Up Roses. Yeah, I don't – I know that's like a phrase, but I don't know what it means. So I can't really make an educated guess on – what I think that's going to be. Yeah, we'll find out. I glanced over the description and it looks interesting to say the least. Well, I'm excited. And until then, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at back to podcast. You can also shoot us over an email um, with any of your comments or questions, your thoughts or your concerns at back to podcast at gmail.com. That's B-A-C-K-T-O podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to go into your podcast app and rate, review, subscribe. All those different things really help us get seen. They help us build a community. Um, We really appreciate them. You can, you know, share it with your friends and family. I'm going to plug rating us on Spotify every time now that I know that you can do it. And it would just be really great. So until next week. From all of us at Back to Podcast, I like dancing with other girls and foreplay. (laughs) I'm an artist with speed powers. I would like a better dressing room and some chips, please. Thanks. Bye. Bye. See ya.